Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. Amen. All right, let's get into the message. Today, we're going to start a three-week series on the book of Jonah. And I've been excited. I've been ready to camp out in just one area of Scripture. We were doing eight weeks on the fruit of the Spirit, and we were just kind of wandering from the Old Testament to the New Testament for each fruit. But we're going to camp in here in the book of Jonah for today and the next two Sundays on a series entitled The Book of Jonah. Yes, very creative, I know. Um, I wanted to make sure you knew exactly what we were talking about. So, the story of Jonah. And, uh, you know, this story is, is so unique because it appears to be straightforward. The story of Jonah. Uh, but it, it's, it's so unique. You know, Jonah is one of the minor prophets, right? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, so on and so forth. But most prophetic books deal with the words that a prophet receives from God. But the book of Jonah is actually a story about a prophet from the Bible. It's a very unique story, um, and we're going to set up this story by reading the first three verses of Jonah. It says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. All right, Jonah hears from God. God tells Jonah to head to the city of Nineveh. Jonah says, nope, not going to do that. I don't think so. And not only does Jonah say no, but he runs away to Tarshish. Everybody say Tarshish. Tarshish. Just a fun word to say, like Worcestershire sauce. Just just a fun word to say. It gives you some perspective. Okay, Tarshish is the opposite direction of Nineveh. And not only is it the opposite direction, Tarshish is the furthest geographical point known to that day. If you think about modern day, Tarshish would be the southern area of Spain. Okay? It it was was such a far trek that if if someone were to leave during Solomon's days and come back, it would take you about three years to go to Tarshish and come back from Israel. Now, Nineveh, on the other hand, is basically 200 miles north of Baghdad. So if you see you're in Israel... Nineveh is one way. Going to Tarshish is the complete opposite direction. So Jonah is not only saying no to God, but he is going in the opposite direction, as far away as he possibly can. And before we come down hard on Jonah, we need to understand a little bit about what God is asking Jonah to do at this point. You see, Nineveh is is not a city of Israel. It belongs to Assyria. And the nation of Assyria is known for brutal violence, evil, wickedness. God is asking Jonah to go and cry out against them. 
So before we judge Jonah for disobeying God, I think we need to take a moment and realize we all have a little bit of Jonah on the inside of us, right? We all have a little bit of a desire for self-preservation, self-reliance. When asked by God to do difficult things and challenging things, sometimes we choose to run away. The title of today's message is a phrase. You might have heard it before. See if you can, you can finish it. You can run, but you can't hide. You can run, but you can't hide. Do you know where that came from? I was looking. I wanted to know what was the origin of that phrase. According to the Internet, which is never wrong, um, it says that it came from a fighter in 1941, a heavyweight fighter, Joe Lewis, he was about to go against the world light heavyweight champion, uh, Billy Kahn. And, and so Joe was asked about the fight and, and the speed of Billy. And Joe said, yeah, you can run, but you can't hide. And sure enough, he was right, because after 12 rounds of them boxing and fighting, Billy was winning. But in the 13th round, Joe caught up to him and knocked him out. You can run. But you can't hide. You can make decisions that pull you away from God, but you can never hide from him. Today, I want to look at different ways that we choose to run from God in our lives through the story of Jonah. So God calls Jonah. Jonah runs in the opposite direction. Let's see what happens next as he's running away to Tarshish. Verses 4 through 6. It says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone, gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the gods will give a thought to us that we may not perish. You can run, but you can't hide. God sends a storm after Jonah. And unfortunately, his ship is caught in the crossfire of God trying to get a hold of Jonah. These, these poor sailors, they're right in the middle of the crossfire, crossfire of this situation, and they are panicking. And I'm not sure how, but somehow the sailors knew that this was a divine storm. You notice that? I don't know if it was typically in that season of the year, there wouldn't have been a storm, or where they were at, that would be abnormal. But they knew this was divine, that this was, this was created by a divine being. And so they, they are doing everything that they can to survive this storm. But Jonah, Jonah is asleep. Jonah has chosen to tune out. And if we're going to talk about running away from God, we have to start by defining what it means to run away. Because you can run away from God one way, and I can run away from God in a different way. How Jonah chooses to run away from God in this moment is he is choosing to run away, and he is choosing comfort and complacency. Jonah is first choosing to say, I don't care. I'm in the inner part of the ship. I've got my blindfolds on. I've got my earplugs in. I'm not listening to this. I refuse to as I run away from God. 
And our first point today, running away from God, is running towards comfort. One way that we choose to run away from God is running to, towards comfort. We need to realize that running away from God is actually choosing to run towards something else. If you're struggling in your life and you're thinking, why am I running away from God? Maybe the first question should be, what am I running towards instead? Because a lot of times we choose something else over our relationship with God. You know, God asks us to do difficult things sometimes. Anybody else? No? He, he stretches us a lot in our faith, right? Maybe God gives you a word of encouragement for someone else. And, and God was stretching Jonah because he asked him not only to give a word, but to go against an evil city. And to tell them that judgment is coming for their wickedness. Jonah says that responsibility seems dangerous. That seems difficult. That seems challenging. He says, I'd rather run in the opposite direction towards comfort. It says, Jonah went into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. He chose to tune out the voice of God and the needs of people. I wonder how often do we choose comfort in our life? Well, I could go help my friend move, but it'd be a lot easier to just stay home and relax. Yeah, yeah, I could buy, you know, I could pay for that person's meal, but then, you know, that money wouldn't go to what I would want to pay for, what I wanted to go to. Yeah, I could, you know, I, I could lift my hands in worship, but I'd feel a lot more comfortable if I just kept them down at my side. I mean, what if someone saw me? What would they think of me raising my hands to worship God? Yeah, I could get up a few minutes earlier and read my Bible, but this bed is so warm. And I'd only have a few more minutes left. I don't know if I want to spend it getting up and reading the Bible. It's a lot easier. It's a lot more comfortable to stay right here. Running away from God means running towards comfort. Jonah probably thought in that moment, as he laid down on his cot in, in the boat, he might have thought, I'm safe. Everything is fine. I, I'm comfortable here. But what happens? The captain of the ship comes to Jonah and says, what do you think you're doing? How can you be sleeping right now? You need to wake up and begin calling out to your God to get us out of this. Jonah was trying to sleep through a storm that was threatening to cost him his life. We might feel comfortable when we're headed in the opposite direction, but in reality, it is if you choose to run away from God and towards comfort, you're actually in the greatest danger of your life. Amen? Running away from God, away from his plans for your life, is the most dangerous place that you can be. You're in danger because you are choosing disobedience. You are choosing to trust in your own means, your own career, your own bank account, instead of choosing to trust God's will. And we should be thankful that God sometimes has to send a storm into our life to shake us up and wake us up because otherwise we could be gently, peacefully drifting down in the wrong direction. Have you gone through a storm in your life uh, of difficulty or being uncomfortable? It might be God 
trying to get your attention. Now, not, not everything that we go through in life, not every storm that you go through in life is God trying to get your attention. But we have to be aware that the, a shake-up from a storm could be God's way of shaking us out of comfort. God sends a storm to wake us up and alert us. And it's, it's ironic. You have to read this story. This story is full of irony and satire, okay? So I encourage you, as we read these four chapters together, look at the book through that lens. It's ironic that the sailors recognize a storm has been sent by God and only divine intervention can change this, but the prophet on board is the only one tuning out. Right? Comfort is ignorance. It's choosing to put our blinders up. And guess what? We cannot afford in this life to put up blinders and ignore what's going on around us. Running towards comfort can be a lot more appealing, but it is a dangerous place to be. All right, let's look at what happens next. Let's read verses 7 through 10. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? A lot of questions. And he said to them, meaning Jonah, he says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So the whole ship, the whole crew, they get together. And they essentially are rolling dice to see whose fault this is. I know this seems like a weird, it kind of is a weird way to do this, but they believe that God would bless it and it would show who the person is. I wish we could do this more often in my life and make things a lot easier. <laughs> but in this moment, again, think about this through the satire, the irony. Think about it from Jonah. You're like, okay, look at all these guys here. I mean, what are the chances? What's the probability, really, that it lands on me? And sure enough, what happens? It lands on Jonah. He's the one guy that is picked out. Sure enough, it lands on him. And look, look at how Jonah responds. This is, this is important. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Think about this statement. When I was beginning to write this, this sermon, this was the verse that got me thinking about what Jonah was saying. Because he starts by explaining his origin, right? He says, I'm a Hebrew, I'm an Israelite, and I fear the Lord. You fear the Lord? Is that what you're doing right now? You're fearing the Lord? You say you fear the Lord, but yet you're in the moment right now of running away from the Lord. This, this feels contradictory. Sometimes when we run away from God, second point, running away is a contradiction to what you claim. It's a contradiction. You can claim one thing, but then choose to act completely differently. Jonah says that he's fearing the Lord, yet he is running away from the Lord. Now, why is that? 
It makes me think of, of a meme that was made recently by uh, ESPN. There's an analyst, Brian Windhorse, and there's a picture of him saying, now why is that? Do we have the picture? Did I put that in right? Yes. Now why is that? And of course, I went to begin reading some of the captions behind people would post on this. So I wanted to share a few with you. It says, my friend says he loves college football, yet he had a fall wedding. Now why is that? I thought that was good. Um, another one said, Notre Dame claims to be a top college football program, but they haven't won a major bowl game or championship since 1994. Now, why is that? I'm really sorry to any Notre Dame fans. I don't think Marshall's here, so I think we're good. Don't tell I, I said that. Um, all right, here's a non-sports one. Uh, they say they love The Office, yet they skip Scott's Tots every time. Now, why is that? Because it's cringy, some of you would say. Uh, two more. Hot dogs come in a pack of 10, but buns come in a pack of eight. Now, why is that? <laughs> Last one. They say it's July 5th today, yet I hear fireworks still. Now, why is that? It's funny, but these crack me up because the contradiction between what is being said, what is, being, what is claimed, and yet what is the evidence that is there. And when you run away from God, you are contradicting what you claim. And you might say, well, Matt, well, you know, why are you talking to us about running away from God? We're all here this morning. We're, we're at church this morning. How does this message apply to us when we are attending church right now? Because guess what? You can be claiming to be a Christian on Sunday, but the rest of your week you, you live a completely different life. I'm asking a hard question today. Is there a contradiction between what you claim and what you're living? If someone saw you on a Friday night, would they be able to tell that you go to church on a Sunday morning? Is there a difference between what you claim and what you do? Because running away is not just a physical thing. You can be physically here in this building, but mentally checked out, thinking about other things that don't pertain to God having no interest being in here. That's why the Bible says in James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. You are deceiving yourself. You are telling yourself a lie when you hear the word of God and you say, oh, I'm doing the right things. I'm, I'm a good Christian. But you don't do anything that the Bible tells you to do. You are deceiving yourself. Jonah heard the word of God. He heard the prophecy. He, he was told to go to Nineveh, but yet did he act upon that? Or did he go the opposite direction? Is there a contradiction between what you claim and how you live? Am I meddling? Should I move on from that? Is that too much? Jonah says he's a Hebrew, that he fears God, and yet he is in the middle of running away from God's plan. And it's ironic Again, you have to see the comedy in these situations because these poor sailors are really going through it. They, they are struggling. They are caught up in the middle of this crisis. Remember the captain tells Jonah to pray to his God. It's a lowercase g there. Pray to their gods, plural. It was believed in those days that sailors would be praying to their family gods. Again, these are little g gods. And the hope was that their family gods would then go intercede on their behalf to the other stronger, more powerful cosmic deities. And so when the sailors asked, who is your god? Who do you serve? 
And Jonah goes, oh, just uh, Yahweh, um, Elohim, the one who made the dry land and, and the sea, that's the one that I serve that I've made very angry right now. And they're all like, we're doomed. We're done. That's it for us. They are, it says they became exceedingly afraid. And this is what they do next. Let's read verse, verse 11 through 16. It says, then they said to him, what shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So the sailors, they're alarmed, alarmed by the storm. It's getting worse. It's not getting better. It's getting worse and worse. And they asked Jonah, how can we stop this storm? How can we appease your God? And Jonah responds by telling them to throw him overboard. Remember, the people have asked Jonah to call out to his God to save them. And Jonah essentially responds with, yeah, you know what? Me and God are kind of on the outs right now. We're not really talking right now. This is a prophet being very honest about his problem and the fact that he is not connected with God. Jonah will ch chooses not to call out to God. Our last point, last way that we run away from God is you can, number three, you can always stop running and start calling. You can always stop running. Sometimes pride keeps us from calling back out to God. When we run, a bit, run away and we rebel and we disobey, God, not only do, do we sin in that moment of turning away from God, but this is a trick of the enemy, okay? This is a trick the devil plays on. He not only wants to separate you in a moment of sin and disobedience, but he wants to keep you there forever. He does not want you to reconcile yourself to God and call back out to him and say, I've messed up. I've made a mistake. The moment is so peculiar. I kept thinking about this over and over again. Did Jonah do the right thing? I thought, well, okay, maybe Jonah was throwing himself over to, to save the sailors, which I think that is partially true. But we don't see Jonah apologize we don't see him confess or repent to God. He just says to the men who are innocent, they don't deserve this chaos, he tells them to toss him into the sea. Instead of communicating with God, he would rather be gone. He, he says, I'd rather throw my hands out or be thrown into the ocean and be either in the hands of death or in the hands of God. There's really not a third option at that point. 
But I'm of the mind that Jonah felt like he was done and it was over because instead of asking the sailors to throw him over, I believe that he could have just asked God, he could have just called out to God and asked for forgiveness and then gone to Nineveh. I don't know for sure, but I feel pretty confident that God would have heard him and responded to him in that moment, don't you? Anything else I see in the Bible, whenever someone calls out to God, God answers. God's always proven to be there for us when we call out to him. Even if we've run far away, his word says what? That he will never leave us nor forsake us. When I think of this chapter 1 of Jonah, I think of the story of the prodigal son. Remember that story? Jesus is telling a parable of a son who had said to his father, I want my inheritance now. Basically saying, you're dead to me. I want the money that you would give me when you would die, and I want to go live live life the way that I want to. And so that's what the son does. He takes the money. The father gives it to him. He goes out, and he lives, and he spends recklessly. He gets into cryptocurrency or Bitcoin or whatever. I don't know what he's doing. Don't, Don't listen to me. I'm no financial investor. But he goes out, and he wastes his money, and it gets to the point where he has nowhere to live. He has no money to spend on food. And he realizes at this moment, I'd be better off a servant of my dad than living here like this. At least the servants of my dad were given a place to stay and enough food for what they would need. So the son decides to return home. And look at what happens when he returns home. Luke 15, 20. It says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. The son comes home hoping just to be a servant in the father's house because that would be better than his living conditions right now. But it says while he was still a long way off. Do you catch that? He had not made it back to his father's house. While he was still out there, his father was out there looking for him. His father was waiting for him. His father didn't wait for him to come to him. His father met him on the way. And I encourage you, if you feel like you're you're too nervous to turn back to God, you've gone too far, when you turn towards God, when you call out to God, he will meet you right where you are. When we call out to God, he will meet us. It says the father saw him and had compassion and ran towards him. You have to understand the custom of that time, an older distinguished man, they were never to run. That would look humiliating. But the father did not care about any customs or traditions. He just wanted to see his son back in his arms. Do you know this morning that God is that same father, that when he sees you turn towards him, and confess that you've messed up and you've made a mistake and you humble yourself before God, God delights to answer you when you call. 
In fact, he is waiting for you to call. And notice this son doesn't have to go to the the door of his father and bang on the door and say, please let me in, please let me be a servant. The dad doesn't say, you've got to earn being a son again. You've got to earn being in the family again. No, he gives it right back to him. He says, you are a son. I celebrate you. I'm just glad that you're back. You were dead and now you you are alive. You were lost and now you are found. I just wish that Jonah had in that moment simply accepted that he had run away and he had disobeyed and instead called out to God to restore him. I believe it would have gone differently. But let's read how the chapter concludes. Let's read the last verse of Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Washington, can you come join me as we close? Next week, we'll look at chapter two and three about how Jonah is in the belly of this whale. But but notice how God is working behind the scenes in Jonah's life. God is behind the storm coming into Jonah's life to send him back to God. It says God appointed, God caused a fish, listen to this, not to kill, but to keep. God will appoint situations in your life, not to kill you, not to ruin you, but to keep you, to sustain you, to preserve you, even when we make the wrong decision. Aren't you thankful for a God who is merciful that even when we seek comfort of this world, Even when we contradict what we claim and live opposite of our faith, even when we choose not to call out to God, but put our life in our own hand, even in those moments, God desires to answer us when we call. Let me show you one more passage as we we close and explaining the the closeness of, of God wherever we go in our life, that God is near to us. Look at Psalm. Look at what David said in Psalm 139. He said, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Even in the darkest places that we go, God is not far. He is one call, he's one cry, he's one whisper away from being right next to you, right near to you. Would you stand with me as we close? The worship team is going to lead us in the same song that they ended with. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. If you're here this morning, and maybe one of those ways you've been running away from God, this is an opportunity to get right with Him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray to close? Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, 
and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.